As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Hey, High Point Church, I get the privilege of speaking to all of our High Point locations today, especially our newest churches in St. Charles and Hinsdale. Let me give a big shout out for them right now. So thankful for you. I look forward to visiting each of you in person by the end of the year. I'm actually in Romania of all places right now as you're watching this. I'm speaking at a pastor's conference at one of our network churches. They have over 600 pastors and church leaders represented from all over Europe. Last time I was here with my wife, Jody, and we did a marriage conference for over 800 people. The book that we wrote on marriage, it was translated into Romanian so that we're humbled that God would use it in this corner of the world. When we were here last time, we shared our story as we normally do at every marriage conference. And if you've been around our church for a while, you've probably heard a version of it. So I'll just give you the cliff notes this time. We didn't grow up in a Christian home. We got married after college. We were living in different cities. When we finally did get in the same city, right here in Chicago, we crashed and burned. Talk about train wreck. We barely made it past one year. I was doing some things I shouldn't have been doing, sins of commission, and Jody wasn't doing some things she could have been doing, sins of omission. Mine, they were much worse than hers. Believe me, that's true. And she wanted a divorce, rightfully so. To our surprise and God's sovereignty, we ended up in a pastor's office and the pastor told us he only had 45 minutes to meet. So he asked us if we'd rather talk about how messed up our marriage was in the time allowed it or about the forgiveness that is available in Christ. We looked at each other with tears in our eyes and we both said, give us the Jesus thing. So he did. And we walked out an hour later with the weight of sin lifted. We could both feel it. Something was different, but we didn't even know what and we couldn't explain it. I remember Jody asking the pastor, what about the marriage? That's what we came here to discuss. And the pastor said, I don't know what's going to happen with the marriage. And neither did we. And then he said, your next step is to read the Bible and do what it says. And so we did as best that we could. We just applied what we read to our lives, believing that if we just did this, God would do the rest. And he did. He not only saved us, but he saved our marriage. And since then, we've helped countless numbers of couples do the exact same thing, because our mess became our message, our pain was used for his purpose, and our story was shared for his glory. We've shared it hundreds of times over the years, really to anyone who would listen. And today, I want you to be able to do the same thing I just did. I want you to share your story for his glory. I want you to share your pain for his purpose. And if you got a mess, I want it to become your message. But my two questions are these. Will you do it? And can you do it? If the answer is a yes, yes, then let me ask you this. Can you do it in less than 15 minutes? Or how about can you do it in less than five minutes like I just did? That's what I want us to work on together. Because sometimes you just don't have enough time for the full story. Just the Cliff Notes version. So how are we going to do this? We're going to do it by using Ephesians chapter 2 because that's the theological underpinning of all of our stories. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians. If not, you can follow along on the verses on the screen. We're continuing in our series, Church on the Move. Give me a hand raise if you've been enjoying it. 
Me too. Along with all of our location pastors as they're bringing to each of us, all of our churches every week. It's a privilege for me to speak today to the whole of Hive Point Church as this message, it's being shared with all of our locations. The title of the message is Move with Faith. And I wanna simply share with you the A, B, C, and Ds of every faith story. You got it, every single one. They all have these in common. So I wanna do this so that we can tell our stories as easily as I just told mine. And you don't have to be on the verge of divorce to do it. As God does one of two things with all of his kids. He either saves us through some things, like he did with me and Jody, or he saves us from some things, like he did with many of you. It's one or the other, or even sometimes both. And each is just as powerful. It bothers me when I hear one of God's children say, but my story, it's just not that exciting. Well, what do you mean, why? Because it's not R-rated or it's only rated PG. I mean, all of our stories, whether he saved you through some stuff or from some stuff, they're exciting. I mean, they're miraculous. Believe me, they are. Don't shortchange the power of God by thinking you could have been much worse than you are. Because listen, you probably are much worse than you think. Just remember the story of the prodigal son. There were two of them that needed saving, the unrighteous one and the righteous one, from some stuff and through some stuff, just like you and me. Let me read our scripture to you, starting in verse one of Ephesians chapter two. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not a result of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's begin. If you're a note taker, write this down. The A in the ABCDs of every faith story is admit who you really were, a sinner in need of a savior. That's what Paul is saying in verses one through three. Take a look. The you that is at the beginning of verse one, it's referring to you and me. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor, especially those in North Aurora and say, you too, because this is referring to all of us. Every person who has ever been born with the exception of Jesus. And then when it says at the end of verse one that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, dead means not alive. No feeling, no remorse, no guilt, sometimes even no shame for what you were doing. You're like a walking zombie, unable to control yourself, unable to stop yourself, scaring the daylights out of everybody around you. And look at who you're following in verse two. It says that you are following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Well, that's the enemy. And 
that's who you were following, whether you realized it or not. And that was who I was following when I kept doing the same things I knew would wreck my marriage. But I couldn't stop. So I fooled myself into thinking that I wouldn't get caught. And when I did, I threw away the most important thing in my life, my relationship with my best friend, who I had known since the eighth grade, my wife, Jody. Why? Well, it says it in verse three. Let's personalize it. Because I was living in the passions of my flesh, the desires of my body, and my mind, since I was a child of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So answer this question, because I want you to be able to tell your story for his glory. What word or phrase would you use to describe your life before Christ? How would you describe it in your own words? For me, I was lost. I mean, lost in sin, far from God. I thought beyond his reach, blind, just plain stupid. I mean, to quote from Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does, as my actions proved how low my spiritual IQ was. But again, what word or phrase would you use to describe what your life was like before Christ, those BC days? That's verses one through three in the text. That's what Paul's getting at. When you're sharing your story, you need to communicate what your life was like before Christ. You need to talk about it openly and honestly, what you were thinking, how you were feeling, who you're living for. Now, I'm not saying you gotta share all the skeletons in your closet, that is not necessary, but which ones are you gonna share? And how much detail are you gonna give? Sometimes more is appropriate and sometimes much less. You just can't wing it as this is something that needs to be thought through and intentional so that you can share with others around you. Why? Well, hear this. Because a person can't embrace the solution until they admit there's a problem. And your problem can help them identify their problem so that they can get the solution. That they're a sinner in need of a savior. As the Bible says, our experience confirms we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not even one. So the A in the A, B, C, and Ds of every faith story is to admit who you really were. What's the B? Well, believe in what Jesus has done. He paid the penalty of my sin. Let that sink in for a moment. You and I should have been the ones to die on the cross because all the wrong that we've done, because of what we did, and, and Jesus did this, man. He took our place. That's what theologians call substitutionary atonement. Why would Jesus do such a thing? Well, the answer is right here. If you take a look in your Bibles or on the screen at verses four through seven, notice the two words that I underlined, mercy and grace. They both flow out of his love. Mercy, it's mentioned over 250 times in the Bible. We see it one time in this letter right here. Grace, that's mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. And we see it 12 times in this letter in Ephesians and three times in these verses. What's the difference between mercy and grace? Well, I can't say it any better than the Sunday school answer you may have been learned when you were a kid. Grace is getting what you don't deserve while mercy is not getting what you do deserve. As a parent, Jody and I, I mean, we've demonstrated grace and mercy to our three girls plenty of times. And if you're a parent, I'm sure you have too. Whether it was one of our kids 
who ate the last piece of cake in the fridge that was supposed to be mine, or when one of the kids backed their car into my car in the driveway on graduation day, or when another one of the girls who will remain nameless lost the money for the deposit on the apartment at school because, one of, the, because of, one of what their friends did, that last one still stings a bit, but I'll get over it. But seriously, Jody and I, we've, on plenty of occasions, we've had to exhibit both grace and mercy as they are both at the forefront of parenting. And I wouldn't trade any of them away because it gave us a real-time example to teach about grace and mercy, to talk about what God did for us in a big way and what we need to do for each other in a little way. See, the cross, it's a picture of both grace and mercy because we get what we don't deserve and we don't get what we do deserve. But how do we access it? Well, it takes belief, but it's simple and not easy. By simple, I mean a child can understand the message of the cross. But by not easy, I mean the message of the cross. It, it's got to engage the mind, the emotions, the heart, and your will, that volitional element of you. Let me explain what I mean by using this chair. I can say to myself, when I'm standing here looking at this chair, I can say, I think this chair will hold me. I mean, this chair looks pretty sturdy. It looks like it's gonna hold me. But that's not belief in the New Testament sense because it only engages my mind and not my emotions or my will. Or I could say, man, I gotta be honest. I'm feeling pretty tired. Why is it that I have to stand up here and speak while you all get to sit down out there. And I could literally start crying as to how comfortable all of you are and that I want to sit, but again, that's not belief in the New Testament sense because it only engages my, my, my mind and my emotions, not my will. But when I actually do this, when I actually sit in the chair and put my full weight in the chair, that's that's the New Testament definition of what it means to believe, that I'm engaging my mind and my emotions and my will. See, with my mind, there's something we need to know. And as a Christian, to become a Christian, to believe, we must know who Jesus is, some facts about him. Jesus is God's one and only son. And he took my place on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. That's the gospel, that's the good news. And with our hearts, we must reflect on what Jesus has done. I mean, think about it with me for a moment. He was beaten beyond recognition. I mean, he was nailed to a cross and, and he hung on that cross until he died. The pain, it was so excruciating. We don't think about crucifixion. It was, it was torture as his arms became dislocated and he had no choice but to bear his full weight on his chest as he tried to arch his back against the cross so that he could breathe. So what happens when, somebody, when, that, when it happens to him, it, it caused him to gasp for air and he literally suffocated to death. If you've never shed a tear for what Jesus did, then I'm not sure you fully grasped the gravity of what he went through for you. And with our will, again, that's the volitional element we must make the choice to follow Jesus. We must make the choice to respond. We must make the choice to sit down. But 
Not everyone will. And there's a lot of people who see other people sitting in the chair and they don't sit down. They haven't done it for themselves. You can't do it for them because belief is not transferable as everyone has to make that decision for themselves. I mean, nobody can do it for you. But then there's others who they kind of lean on the chair for a while. They get really close to other people who are sitting in the chairs, but they don't do it themselves. And then some difficulty comes along and they find some other chair to sit in, chairs of self-help, chairs of self-discipline, and any other chair besides this chair, God, which unfortunately means they never truly engage their mind and their emotions and their wills. Don't let that be you. Because for you, I want you to be able to share your story for his glory. I want you to be able to share your pain for his purpose. So let's not move on too fast. Take a moment to reflect. When did you sit down in the chair as I use this example? I mean, fully put your weight on it. What was going on in your life? What were the circumstances exactly? And please don't just say, well, I've always been a Christian. I know what you mean when you say, I've always been a Christian. That you just can't remember because you were so young and you probably had the privilege of being born in a Christian home so that, man, that's all I can ever remember. But others who aren't Christians, people who came to faith like me later in life, it, we don't understand that. And we might get the wrong idea thinking that everyone is born a Christian so they don't have to respond or thinking, I guess I can't be a Christian because I wasn't born in the right family. And obviously both are not true. Jesus said it the best. He said, to make this clear, you must be born again, meaning everyone must have a second birth. The first one, it's your physical birth. The second one is your spiritual birth. When you engage your mind and your emotions and your will, and if you can't remember because you were so young when you came to faith and grew up in it, then just focus more on that time when it became real to you and you made it your own. Maybe it was in high school or college. That will help people understand what you mean so that they understand that a decision needs to be made. So again, when did you believe? I don't want it to belabor this, but it's extremely important as eternity hinges on it. Your eternity. Do you have an exact time and date like me? Or maybe it was a period in your life, a season that you went through and you can't pin down the exact time, but either one's okay. It just takes some intentional time to think about it so that I can verbalize it because the gospel is a verbal transaction. And, and then you'll be able to share it easily with others. That's the B in the A, B, C, and Ds of every faith story. Believe in what Jesus has done. What's the C? Confess. Confess who Jesus is, my personal Savior and Lord. Notice verses 8 through 9. These are the verses that I needed when I was growing up. I just didn't have them. They would have alleviated, this would have alleviated a lot of doubt, a lot of uncertainty that I wrestled with. When it says, for by grace... That's the unmerited favor that we're talking about. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's probably the only thing you can't buy on Amazon. I'm telling you, it is. Why? Well, because it says that it's a free gift. That's what it says. It's a free gift from God. And when it says that you've been saved through faith, it's talking about the personal belief, the individual response. Again, we've already talked about that at length. It engages your mind and your emotions and will, but... 
But notice, verse 9, this is really clarifying to every faith story when it says, not as a result of works, so that no one will boast. That simply means there's not going to be any bragging going on in heaven. Nobody's going to be standing over in the corner with a circle forming around them like what happened at your high school reunion. I mean, it's not happening. When that old classmate and he starts telling everybody how great they, he was and, and how successful that he's become. Nope, not going to happen in heaven. Why? Because there's no amount of good deeds that can get a person to heaven in the next life. And there's no amount of good deeds that will get a person right with God in this life either. That's the point we miss. That's what these verses are teaching. It's not about how good you are or how great you are. It's about how good and great God is to save you from yourself. I remember I first became a Christian and I was at a Christmas party with the extended family, all the aunts and the uncles and the cousins. And I mean, the whole Italian family was gathered. I mean, it was a packed house. Many of them, they were going to midnight mass because it was Christmas Eve. That's what you do when your last name ends in a vowel. And my cousin, I'll never forget, he corners me. I'm, I'm a brand new Christian and he yells out loud enough for everyone to hear, so you're a Christian now, I hear. And then he says, well, let me tell you what I believe. And now I'm fairly certain that I didn't ask him anything or ask him what he believed, but he yells it out so loud. I felt like everyone was staring at us. And then he says, I believe that if God, the good outweighs the bad in my life, then God's going to be good with me and everything's going to work out just fine. He was basically believing that our eternal destiny is determined by what you do, which many people think. The problem with that line of logic is that you never know when enough is enough. And therefore, you never have assurance of salvation. I wish I would have shared this verse in that moment or at least explained it to him. But I was too young in the faith to do it. And I didn't have enough confidence. A few years later, I, I did finally get to share it with all my family, including him at my mom's funeral. And I'll never forget the expression on everyone's faces when I did it. I started out by saying this for emphasis. I said, my mom's not in heaven because she was a loving wife to my dad. My mom's not in heaven because she was a caring mom to me, my brother, my sister. My mom's not in heaven because she was a generous person to each of you. My mom is in heaven because of a decision, a decision she made to embrace Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And that's a decision we all need to make for ourselves. As the Bible says, it's by grace you've been saved, through faith, not a result of works, so that nobody would boast. After I got done explaining all that, some of my relatives actually made the choice to believe. I love this quote from one pastor. It helps illuminate some faulty thinking about religion and the gospel. Religion says, attain. The gospel says, obtain. Religion says, attempt. The gospel says, accept. Religion says try. The gospel says trust. Religion says do this. The gospel says it is done. It is finished. And that what leads to the C in the A, B, C, and D of every faith story. Confess who Jesus is, my personal Savior and Lord, because he did all the heavy lifting so we don't have to. And lastly, the D in our A, B, C, Ds of every faith story Declare what God has done. God has given me a new purpose. I love this. I mean, it's mind-boggling. I've already talked about being saved through some things and being saved from some things, but now I want to talk about being saved 
for some things. Did you catch that? This usually gets the short end of the stick and we don't focus at it enough. You, you haven't been saved, just been saved through some stuff or from some stuff. You've also been saved for some stuff. That's verse 10. Notice, as it says that you are God's workmanship. That word workmanship, it's an unusual one for us. We don't say it very often. It's more than a product of creation. It refers specifically to the degree of skill by which the product was made. The degree of skill imparts value. So think of it this way. I, I know it sounds silly, but you're like a painting. And if you were, you haven't been painted by some no-name artist. You're like a Rembrandt or a Picasso. As you've been painted by the best of the best. Or another example, foolish, but if you were a watch, you're not some Seiko or some Timex. You're a Rolex, man. That's how valuable you are. Remember, you've been made in the image of God. You are special in his eyes. You are valuable. You are unique. You've been given a new purpose and identity in the gospel. How come? Well, look at the next phrase. This one, I hope it catches you. Because you've been created in Jesus for good works, which God made beforehand. The God who breathed life into you has prepared you for some things he wants you to do. That's what I mean when I say, I haven't been just, you haven't been just saved from some things, but rather you've also been saved for some things. So what should we do? Well, we should walk in them. That's what it says. Because a church on the move is made up of a people on the move and a people on the move are just moving to the groove of what God has already prepared beforehand. It's true. I mean, Jody and I would have never dreamed of becoming Christians, going into ministry, starting this church, but God prepared it beforehand. He knew what we didn't so that we would walk in it. I mean, I can't overthink it. I don't really understand it fully, but I'm experiencing it. So my question is this, before your location pastor comes up to close this message, have you ever taken the time to craft your story so you can share it in 15 minutes or less, or maybe you have and that's great. I'd encourage you to pray for opportunities to share it. Even this week, practice in the lobby after church today with someone. Just say to them, hey, let me share my story with you. They'll want to hear it. They have to. <laughs> you got them cornered because this is the home crowd. But if you haven't shared your story or you're not sure you can like that or you think it needs a little work, all you need to do is answer these three questions. I want to make it really simple after doing the A, B, C, and D. These are the questions. What was your life like before Christ? When did you come to Christ? And what's your life like now that you are in Christ? If you can answer each of these questions in a few sentences, and you can do it, I know you can. You can share your faith in a unique way. Let me show you how easy it is. What was my life before Christ? Unsatisfying and incomplete. When did I come to Christ? Well, it was the first year of my marriage. What's my life like now that I am in Christ? I'm just trying to walk in the good works that God has already prepared. Nothing else, just those. Not trying to be an overachiever here. I just want to do what God has already prepared for me. See, this is the backswing thought for today. God has not only saved you from some things and through some things, he's also saved you for some things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And I pray for your word to penetrate our hearts because each of us has a story. 
And I pray our stories would be told in such a way where we can honor God, we can glorify God, and we can share God with the people that he has entrusted around us. I pray this in Jesus' name.